0: We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and bless his name. Let us pray. Almighty God, your son Jesus Christ, fed the hungry with the bread of his life and the word of his kingdom. Be present with us now, we pray. Renew your people with your heavenly grace. And in all our weakness, sustain us by your true and living bread, Jesus Christ, our Lord lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Our first hymn is number two of Worship the King. The psalmist says, Blessed are those whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed are those to whom the Lord imputes no iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. Together, then, let us confess our sin before Almighty God. Lord God, most merciful, we confess that we have sinned through our own fault and in common with others in thought, word, and deed and through what we have left undone. We ask to be forgiven. By the power of your Spirit, turn us from evil to good. Help us to forgive others. Grace to obey your commandments. And keep us in your ways of righteousness and love. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Please stand for the assurance of pardon. People of God, hear the good news. The saying is sure and worthy of acceptance by everyone that Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners. And you, Christian people, were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and in the spirit of our God. I declare to you as a minister of the gospel that all those who have faith in Jesus Christ and repent of their sin are truly forgiven of all their sin. And this is the good news of the gospel. We say... Praise be to God, saints in the Lord. The apostolic instruction to the Church includes patience. Be patient in tribulation, says the apostle Paul to the church, and James. Directs the church to be patient until the coming of the Lord. We live in this time between the first coming of Christ and the second coming, and it's a time where, among other things, it's not just sitting and waiting, it's it's a time of being patient, active patience. Christian patience is waiting for the Lord. It is a trust that God it, it trust that God will do what he says he will do in Scripture. And it recognizes our dependence upon him. So God has made promises and we trust him. And one of those promises Jesus makes is he will return. All will be judged, all people will be judged, and the earth will be set right. His creation will be set right. So we must wait for God. Christian patience is waiting while we resist sin and that we must repent over and over again. So that's part of the patience is not just deciding we're done, and we're not going to worry about sin anymore, and we're going to stop repenting, but it's what we do as we go on in our uh, time of of patience. The gospel promises that Jesus has conquered our sin, and he cleanses us from all unrighteousness, and there's a patience that's required in that. He's done it. It's being worked out with us by the Holy Spirit, and yet we have to wait because it's it's not all immediately um, given to us right away. Christian patience is waiting for the Lord to make things right in the world where there is so much that is wrong because the Lord promises to make the heavens and the earth new. So there's patience in that also, and I know you all feel that because there are so many things we experience and we hear about in the news that have gone wrong in this world, and we have to patiently wait for the Lord to set it right, even as we bear witness that he will. Every time you experience something and you know it is not supposed to be that way, you have the opportunity to practice patience. It's a step-by-step kind of thing. With God's grace at work within you, our opportunity at a time over many years increases the virtue of patience within us, and it grows as we continue to live our life for Christ in this world, waiting for him to return. This is God's will for us in Jesus Christ, and let us say amen. Our hymn is number 670, If Thou But Suffer God to Guide Thee. Let's bow our heads in prayer for those in need. Almighty and eternal God, who by your holy apostles has taught us to make prayers and supplications for all people, and not only taught us, but instilled in us the desire to do so, we humbly ask you mercifully to receive these our prayers, which we make together in our worship to you. We offer them up to you, knowing that you are the majestic one, sovereign in all over your whole creation we ask you to inspire continually the whole church with the spirit of truth and unity and peace and grant that all those who confess your holy name may agree in the truth of your holy word and live in unity and godly love lord we know the church so often drives it's uh, drives away from each we drive away from each other and churches do not seem to want to come together in unity around Christ, but we pray this would be so. Hear our prayers, O God, for the church to be united and to be faithful to your word. We call out to you to lead all nations in your way of righteousness, justice, and peace. And even if the leaders and the nations themselves do not want to go those ways, we pray, O God, that you would uh, keep a certain level of justice and peace between the nations. Direct all governments and rulers that under them Christ's people may be free to worship you and proclaim the gospel. We pray that good moral order would be maintained for all of society. To this end, we ask that you would guide our President Joe Biden Gary Peters and Debbie Stabenow, our senators, the courts, Gretchen Whitmer, our governor, all who serve in government, and the Supreme Court as they, um, well, as they will return and continue making decisions. We pray that they would help lead us in the way of what is good and right. We pray that justice would be administered impartially. There would be punishment of wickedness and vice, maintenance of goodness, that virtue would be something desired by people and, and sought after, and that there would be the end of shootings, mass shootings or any kind of shooting. We pray for social order. To this end, we also pray for the termination, not just the, the um, reversal of the Roe versus Wade ruling, but also the termination of abortion, the illegality of pornography, the restraint of greed, the honor of marriage, help for the poor, prosecution of violence, the end of prejudice. For all these things, hear our prayers, O Lord. Guide and prosper, we ask, those who are laboring for the spread of the gospel among the nations. We have our mission here, but we know that there are many places where the church is very small or uh, is not even uh, established, and we pray that we would be able to um, help that happen in other countries. We pray for our missionaries like Hiro Hakobor, his family in Ukraine. We ask you to keep them safe. We pray for Ben Westerveld in Quebec and his family, the Christians also in Canada and Mexico, many of them who live near uh, the, the control of drug cartels. Please, O Lord, we pray for the church to be safe and to be able to proclaim the word and many to hear and be converted to Christ. We also pray that you would stop the violence and terrorism that has spread in this world. Hear our prayers, O God. Convert the lost, our Savior. Make rebels fall on their knees and praise your name and be joined with your people in the church. Turn the hearts of the wicked to you. We bring our petitions to you for those among our families and acquaintances who do not confess that Jesus Christ is Lord and Savior. Hear our prayers. Merciful Father, give to all your people your heavenly grace, your favor. Especially to this congregation present here, so that with humble heart and proper reverence they may hear and receive your word, and not be consumed by their own um, own concerns and troubles. We pray you would uh, that as we hear your word and receive it, we may truly serve you in holiness and righteousness all the days of our lives. Comfort, strength, and help all of your people who are in trouble, sorrow sickness grief adversity or have some other kind of need we pray you'd bless them preserve them give them good health good medical care restore them and if they are at the end of their days that you would hold their faith firmly in christ here are prayers for shirley and eduardo for terry fawn jeff frida and for our friends becky mrs mesner judy bill phil Tom, Angie, Karen, and all those we name to you in silence. You are our only help in time of need. Other helps may come to us, but you are our full help and the source of all help that we receive. Look upon these, your servants, with the eyes of your mercy. Comfort them with a sense of your goodness. Preserve them from the temptations of the enemy, Give them patience under their affliction. And in good time, restore them to health, to mental strength, to active service. Give to them what they need. Enable them always to live their lives in reverence of your name. We pray you would continue to bless Providence Church with the ministry of Christ and his word. We pray for more and more people to be joined with us in faithful worship of you and loving service together. And now, O oh Lord, we give you our praise and heartfelt thanks for all of your holy people who, through their various places in life, have been your witnesses to your grace in this world. We thank you for Providence Church that has been such a witness. We pray, rejoicing in the fellowship that we have, and we follow the good examples of those Christians who have gone before us, and may we be partakers with them of your heavenly kingdom. Hear our prayers by your Spirit, our Father And the glory forever. Amen. Let us present our tithes and offerings to the Lord.
1: Join with me in praying for God's illumination on us this morning. (sighs) Heavenly Father, we thank you heartily for your goodness to us in in myriad ways, and we thank you especially for giving us your word and for the opportunity this morning to open it together and in fellowship to uh, hear your wisdom. We pray that by your spirit our hearts and minds would be opened uh, to... uh, Hear what you have to say to us, to understand it, to absorb it, and to be affected by you through it. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Our right. first reading this morning is from Proverbs 15. And uh, exclusively verse three. So Proverbs 15:3. The eyes of the Lord are in every place, keeping watch on the evil and the good. Now, please join in our Psalter response this morning, which comes from Psalm 28. To you, O Lord, I call. Lest if you be silent to me, Hear the voice of my pleas for mercy, when I, cry you God, when I lift up my hands, do not drag me off with the wicked, the who speak peace with their neighbors, and according to the evil of their deeds, Render them their due reward, or the work of his hands. Blessed be the Lord. The Lord is my strength and my shield. My heart exalts. The Lord is the strength of his people.
2: He is
1: the of his anointed. Oh, save your people and bless your heritage. Be their shepherd and carry them forever. Our epistle reading this morning comes from Revelation, chapter 3, verses 14 through 22. And to the angel of the church in Laodicea, write The words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's creation. I know your works. You are neither cold nor hot. Would that you were either cold or hot. So, because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. For you say, I am rich, I have prospered, and I need nothing If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him, and he with me. The one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne, as I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Finally, our gospel reading today comes from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 12, Verses 41 through 44. And he sat down opposite the treasury and watched the people putting money into the offering box. Many rich people put in large sums. And a poor widow came and put in two small copper coins, which make a penny. And he called his disciples to him and said to them, truly I say to you, This poor widow has put in more than all those who are contributing to the offering box. For they all contributed out of their abundance, but she, out of her poverty, has put in everything she had, all she had to live on. The word of the Lord.
0: Last week I said there are two texts that end the stories of conflict between Jesus and the Jewish leaders at the temple. Uh, Jesus entered Jerusalem on his way to the cross. This is back at the beginning of chapter 11. The leader, Jewish leaders, namely the priests, the elders, the Sadducees, the scribes, and Pharisees, confronted Jesus in the temple. Jesus was teaching in the temple, and the Jewish leaders came right at him in front of all the people. It reminds me of a story of one of my... Uh, I guess favorite church fathers Gregory of Nazianzus and he was called up to preach um, and actually be the archbishop in Constantinople back at the time in the fourth century when the when the churches were debating and there was a lot of fire going on about Arianism which was later deemed to be a heresy. So he was the he was supposed to start a church an orthodox church a church that held to the more orthodox teaching of of who Jesus is, in this town of Constantinople. And the emperor wanted him there, but there were a lot of Arians there who did not like him at all and uh, resented his being there. And so Gregory started this church called the Church of the Resurrection, and it met in a villa in in the city. And he would preach like I am up here, and the congregation would be filled with people who came to hear him. And a lot of Aryans would come, and sometimes there are stories of them standing in the back, and while he's preaching they're throwing rocks at him, trying to knock him off, you know, hit him, yelling things out. It was very different than you all sitting there very peacefully. I'm grateful for that. Um, even when we have visitors, a certain decorum that's expected, uh, though it doesn't always happen in other parts of the world, and that's what was happening in more in, in one way or another with Jesus as he uh, entered the temple, he was being confronted um, by these Jewish leaders right in front of everyone else. It wasn't a private uh, confrontation. So this section of Mark includes several such conflict stories. There are several of them about Jesus' conflict with these Jewish leaders. And yet, even in conflict, the Lord teaches us what it means to follow him. And that is precisely what we receive as we listen to the preaching of these texts. We're not just hearing about Jesus' conflict with the with the Jewish leaders, we're also learning what it means to follow him when there is conflict. Now we come to the end of it. We come to the end of this section and the final two stories of this part of the Gospel of Mark. um, uh, uh, This part with the conflict stories between Jesus and Jewish leaders ends with these two stories. You heard the, the other story last week, so today we get to the very last story about the widow in the temple. The last story before Jesus leaves the temple with his disciples is the story of Jesus watching those who were walking past these collection boxes in the temple and dropping money into them. Jesus sitting over by a column across the court observing the pious activity of the people. Now Mark is not clear about where this was in the temple. I notice the ESV uh, translation uses the word treasury. That's one way it could be taken. But um, there was a treasury in the temple itself, but most likely this is not where this scene is taking place. Not, the word treasury can be sort of a broad word, but it probably wasn't taking place in the actual treasury of the temple the tr- that treasury was more secluded from the people because any money that came into the temple would have been brought there. and so it was more like a vault. You know it was a room where money was stored, and places like that are usually kept secure, and you don't have people just walking by and dropping more money in. Another place for the collection of the money was um, in, in the uh, collection of the money in the temple was the court of the women. The Jewish writing, the Mishnah, describes 13 trumpet. ...shaped receptacles placed along the wall of the Court of the Women. People could walk by those collection sites and drop coins into the large mouths of the receptacles. So that's probably where it was happening. They regularly passed by the collection boxes in the temple and dropped their money into them. This was a regular um, sort of uh, activity... It was something you did when you went to the temple. I imagine that when people went to the temple, they thought about how they would be also making an offering, and not just animal sacrifices, but an offering of money. They were religious about it. Jesus sat down opposite the collection site in that court, and he watched. Jesus observes our piety. Because he is the Lord, he sees our every pious act. Now, we might act in secret from each other, but not from Jesus. Jesus saw the action of each of the Jews who walked up to the collection boxes that day in the temple. No matter if they were men or women, young or old, children, fathers, mothers, single people, rich, poor, Jews, or visitors from other nations, Jesus watched them. Just like he's watching you and me today. We confess that after Jesus was crucified and raised from the dead, he ascended into heaven And that he's seated at the right hand of the Father. Jesus has ascended in triumph after completing his mission to save us. But that doesn't mean he's checked out. That he's away. That he's some kind of a deistic lord who who did what he had to do. And now he's just sitting back and maybe kind of keeping sort of an eye on things from a distance. But that's not Jesus. He didn't check out even though he's ascended to the right hand of the Father. Jesus is present with us by the Spirit, and among other things, he's watching our acts of piety. He knows each one of us, and he's watching us. In fact, he never takes his eyes off of us. You do nothing in secret from the Lord. Not even your thoughts and desires are secret from the Lord. He knows them all. The people walking past the collection boxes in the temple had no idea that Jesus was watching them. Now maybe a few of them noticed the teacher with his disciples gathered around him on the other side of the court in the temple, but many of them did not. They walked by, they dropped their coins into the collection boxes and moved on about their business without one inkling that the Lord was present watching them. All of our pious activity... The pious activity of of everyone is being watched and evaluated and assessed by the Lord Jesus Christ, every bit of it. Now, this word pious or piety is a very old word meaning devout or dutiful. Often it's associated with religious acts, and in a minute I'll talk about Christian piety, but it's more generic than that. It's a, it's a word that gets associated with religious acts, but it's, it was highly valued in the ancient pagan world. So for the Romans, pietas, piety, was when a person respected his or her responsibilities to the gods, to country, and to their parents and family. So that was where piety was to be especially practiced. This kind of piety is religious because one must be dutiful, religiously being devout, Practicing piety towards the Roman gods meant showing them respect by leaving them gifts and offerings at their temples and saying prayers to them regularly, dutifully. Practicing piety towards one's parents meant one made sure his parents were cared for and that he visited them frequently and and really showed them honor. They were always considered to be superior to, to the children. Practicing piety for one's country meant showing honor to the city officials, obeying the law, and serving the country in some capacity. So that was in the Roman world. That's how piety was practiced. This classical understanding of piety was being devout and dutiful to others. Now, piety is easily picked up by religions because most religions require some kind of regular devoutness and duty. Devout Buddhists practice the piety of liberation and enlightenment. Their goal is to have a discriminating awareness of life and to be liberated from suffering. Suffering, they say, um, is, is, is embedded in, in this world and life. And so the duty, the, the piety of the devout Buddhist is to seek liberation from that suffering. And that comes through Enlightenment. There are steps one must dutifully follow to build up the pathway of the mind toward enlightenment. Buddhism is a very disciplined religion, a very pious religion, very religious religion um, because it has that duty and that devoutness built into it. There uh, There are different sects of Islam, but they share the same basic way of being a devout and dutiful Muslim. This way is known as the five pillars of Islam. There's prayer almsgiving, pilgrimage, shahada, or the confession, you've heard this confession, that there's no true God but Allah and Muhammad is his prophet, that's the shahada. And then the last one is fasting. So these are the five pillars. Um, and they're, they're not all practiced with the same frequency, but they are the duty and devotion required for faithful Muslims. So as you probably know, prayers are to be made by a faithful Muslim, a dutiful, religious, pious Muslim, how many times a day? Five times a day, right? And there's the call to prayer in some places where the minaret is up and the uh, imam goes up, calls the people to pray, and they stop wherever they are and they pray. That's in a very heavily um, uh, developed Muslim city. But there are there's that regular pious activity every day. And then the pilgrimage is another, but that's only required once in a lifetime. So there are different frequencies, but there still is this piety, devotion, and duty that's required. That's Muslim piety. But piety is not only for those who belong to religion. I want you to see that this kind of piety is is pretty broad. Modern secularism also has its piety. Modern secularism is piously devoted to science. Science. It is dogmatic about the separation of church and state, and it devoutly practices gaining knowledge through the five senses. Sight, smell, sound, you know, the five senses, and only the five senses. It doesn't really believe, or it's highly distrustful of knowledge that would come through revelation or some other source. Sports enthusiasts have their piety. They block off every Saturday or Sunday afternoon to watch a game, dutifully, and I mean dutifully, if they're enthusiasts, buying bags of chip, chips and beer to consume during the game and devoutly keeping track of the team's rosters and statistics. So there's another kind of piety in our culture. And even atheists can be pious. They're not well organized uh, overall, but they devoutly attack, and I mean devoutly attack, any belief in God and seek to discredit any religion. So if you get into a conversation with atheists, they're not going to give any ground, and they're going to go after, in a very pious way, a very religious way, go after your faith in God. Americans are adept at creating customized piety. Rather than practicing certain kinds of traditional piety, such as going to church on Sundays, like you have done, or confessing the Christian faith handed down to us, Many spiritually-minded people take walks in the forest and try to commune with God. And and they're not just hiking out at Stony Creek or somewhere. They actually believe that they're going to go commune with God in in that time by themselves in the forest. And that's a customized American kind of of, uh, spiritual piety. Rather than reading their Bibles with the church, pious Americans, uh, many of them, read their Bibles by themselves spiritually interested Americans create their own confession of faith and piously recite them. I was in a seminary where that was one of the exercises we were supposed to do in a class, was to write our own confession of faith. And I remember I didn't know a lot. You know, I was new, but uh, at least in terms of studying you know, the faith. But I just thought, we already have one. Why do I need to write one? It's pretty good. It's called the Nicene Creed or the Apostles' Creed. You know, We don't each have to have our own little way of saying it, you know. But, of course, there is Christian piety. We practice certain things with devotion and duty. Okay? So if we think of piety this way, we have it too as Christians. And these include attending worship every week, giving money to support the ministry of the church, giving food, other items to those who are in need, reading and studying our Bibles, praying each day, talking to other people about our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, and living moral lives according to the Word of God. Now, over and against the Jewish leaders, Jesus sets before us the piety of the poor widow. So we have all these different forms of piety in the world around us. We share some of those forms of piety. And Jesus sets before us the piety of the poor widow. As Jesus watched the line of people dropping coins into the collection box boxes, he saw the widow take her turn. His conflict with the Jewish leaders at the temple had just come to an end, so we're not going to hear any more about that kind of direct conflict like that. They were pious people, but Jesus did not commend their piety to his disciples. That's an important point to to get from Mark. They had interacted. Their Jewish leaders, religious leaders, they're very pious people, except maybe the Sadducees, uh, pious in their own way, and yet he doesn't commend their piety to his disciples. They just had these interactions. The closest to that, the closest you can come in this gospel to Jesus commending the piety of, of uh, one of the Jewish leaders is the scribe who agreed with Jesus' answer to the question, which commandment is the most important of all? And Jesus' answer was, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. The second most important is you shall love your neighbor as yourself. So Jesus affirmed the scribe's devoutness to God in that conversation. There's a, there's a hint of that in there. But for the rest of it, all these other conflicts and and discussions with the religious leaders, Jesus doesn't commend the piety and devoutness of of these leaders. Nor did he commend the piety of all the other alms givers who dropped their coins in the collection boxes in the women's court of the temple. There were lots of people there. There were crowds of people. They're all going by. They're all being very pious or being very religious. They're dropping their coins in. He doesn't commend their piety. Jesus commends the poor widow's act of piety because it is total, total. Verse 43, when Jesus saw the woman drop her coins in, he made a pronouncement. There's a saying, a pronouncement saying in our text. Truly I say to you, this poor woman came and put in more put in more than all those who were contributing to the offering box, for they all contributed out of their abundance, but she out of her poverty has put in everything she had, all she had to live on. What did she have? Two tiny coins. Now the coin that she had was called a lepta. There will be a quiz on this after we're done. But I'll, I, I think you'll get it, uh, the, the concept. So it's called a lepta. That was the name of this currency at, at that time. One lep- lepta was half a quadrants. There are four quadrants in an Assyrian, and one Assyrian was one-sixteenth of a denarius. Okay? So like we have five pennies and a nickel, five nickels and a quarter, four quarters and a dollar, same kind of thing. These are gradations of of their currency. So the two leptas together equaled one sixty-fourth of a denarius, which was one day's wage. So the two coins together equal one sixty-fourth of a denarius. So to put it simply, the value of these two coins was next to nothing, and that was all she had. She had no other possessions of value. She only had two small coins. She did not even have a husband. Each one of us has different levels of wealth. We have it in the form of possessions. We have it in the form of money and investments. Whatever the level of our wealth is, it is vastly more than this widow had. We have so much in our society that there's a large industry of reselling what we do not want anymore and we donate at collection sites. So sometimes I stop by a Goodwill store or Salvation Army store and I look for used clothes and you can get some good deals. Once, uh, often I find nice name brand shirts, shoes that show no signs of wear. Sometimes they do have some wear, but I like them so I buy them anyway. But if you look through the racks, you can find good quality clothes in a lot of these places. One store I visit told me that a lady comes in two or three times a week and buys up all the nice name brand clothing and sells it at her own store. She has some kind of secondhand store for much higher prices because people will buy it even with a significantly higher markup. So she's taking advantage of going to the stores, buying up what's what's considered some higher quality, and then she's reselling it. The point is, we have a mass of possessions in our society, so much so that we pass them around to each other. I might be wearing a shirt that you wore at some point in your life. I don't know. Um, but that's what we do. We're, we're so rich in possessions and material goods that we're passing them around to each other. You know, And, and even if you go overseas, I've been in some countries overseas, deep in the jungle somewhere, where the... Where the people living very much in a close-to-the-land kind of life, kind of the way they'd lived for hundreds of years, and they're running around in Harvard and Yale T-shirts. And I'm thinking, wow, you know, that made it all the way down here. The entire inventory of the widow's valuable possessions was just two small coins. Yet to hold two tiny little coins in her hand was better than nothing. She could have divided them and piously put one in the collection box and kept one for herself. She had two little coins, one into the box, pious act, one for herself. She had two, one for God. She could have had one for God, one for herself. Presumably, that's what everyone else was doing when they dropped their coins into the box. They gave some to God and they kept some for themselves. Jesus commended the poor widow because she gave everything to God. She put it all in. He commends her to us because if we follow Jesus, we must be all in for him. All in. Now certainly that means our possessions. That's the easy, easy thing to, to point out here. But it also includes our politics what we believe is socially expedient, and our gender. We cannot hold back on our politics what we think is best for our society or ourselves. cannot hold back some of it. It's either all in for God, or it's holding some back for what we think is best. Following Jesus is all in with our trust. See, trust lies behind this, and not partial trust. It's not divided trust. It's not some trust in our savings and some trust in God. It's not half in ourselves and half in the Lord. Another early church father was Augustine. We, we love Augustine in the Reformed churches. He was one of the early church fathers. Um, he was raised by a Christian mother, <clears throat> but he found the Christian faith that was taught to him to be shallow. In his opinion, it was shallow and yielding. You know, It was just sort of just required you to submit and give in so he pursued the life of the culture around him very smart man um, but he pursued that life and that included taking to himself a mistress and he sought after the philosophically challenging beliefs of Manichaeism which is a a strict dualism of light and darkness and um, understanding spiritually reality is just this dualistic uh, uh, way things are ordered So he pursued all of that. And Augustine writes in his Confessions, he has many prayers. I love reading the Confessions just simply because of the prayers that he has in there. And this is what he writes. He says, For many of my years, perhaps 12 years, had passed since my 19th year, so he's around 31, I was roused to a desire for wisdom. He wanted to seek wisdom. And, And he's talking about wisdom of the Lord. And still, I was delaying to reject mere worldly happiness. So he wants to, he's seeking after wisdom, seeking after the Manichees, and eventually seeking after it with the Christian faith. But he's still wanting to hold on to world, worldly happiness. But I, miserable young man, supremely miserable, even in the very outset of my youth, had entreated chastity of you, O God. And so he prayed. So while he's in this situation of seeking after wisdom, but also wanting to hold on to worldly happiness, he made this prayer. Grant me chastity and continency, but not yet. You've perhaps heard that. Not yet. Grant me chastity and continency, but not yet. It's a prayer that essentially says, part for you, O God, and part for me. How easy it is for us to want this without praying it out loud. Maybe we're not so honest as as Augustine, but it's so easy to pray that and to want to hold on. We want to hold on to part of our lives because we don't trust God. I mean, if you give it up and give it to him, that's scary. We want to hold on to one of the coins and give God the other. True piety, true devotion to God, trusts him with our whole life. It puts our whole life in the hands of God. It puts our children, our old age, our possessions, our time, our desires and wants, our future, our society, our income, our expectations, everything. Now, there are striking examples of this in the church. I thought of St. Francis of Assisi. There are others in the early church who did it. Maybe not always the best theology wrapped around it, but who, who did this, had this kind of trust in God. But I thought of a more recent one, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, and the underground seminary community in Finkenwald, Germany, in 1935, when the Nazi party was in power. Bonhoeffer was invited to lead the seminary, and he organized it into a life lived together. There, he and his students lived in community with the daily rhythms of Christian life and prayer and, of course, study. And these are spelled out for us in his short book, which we've studied here in this church, Life Together. But what he taught at Finkenwald also became the subject of his book, The Cost of Discipleship, which is a thick book, but but the subjects are really worth considering and and reading. So what he taught at uh, Finkenwald became sort of the subject of two books. In that book, Cost of Discipleship, Bonhoeffer draws a contrast between what he calls cheap grace and costly discipleship. Cheap grace is an approach to Christianity that only emphasizes the good and easy parts without telling the truth regarding the difficult aspects of it. To leave out the more difficult aspects of repentance, church discipline, confession, discipleship, the cross, or the full story of Christ's life offered uh, makes it incomplete when those things are left out. It's cheap in view of God's grace. Further, though salvation is a free gift of grace, the Christian life includes times times and aspects of costly sacrifice, and Bonhoeffer uh, experienced this. He, it, it happened to him in a very poignant way. He was later arrested by the Nazis and eventually executed. He didn't just write a book about it; he was living it in this Nazi era. So it required full trust in God. Dietrich Bonhoeffer trusted God with his whole life, even his death, and he was he died by hanging. The only way we can all be all in for God and to have this kind of trust, the only way that can happen is with love for God. Piety, true piety, devotion, duty can easily become—well, I guess it's not true anyway. Piety, devotion, and duty can easily become legalistic and burdensome without love for God. So we can we can have our Christian piety, or we can have some other kind of piety, and it can become very, very heavy. And, and, uh, or we can start to feel ourselves becoming superior and righteousness, be righteous because of it, without love for God. So I know a fellow who began to despise his wife. He was a member of an OPC church, not around here, and he would come to worship like a zombie, and I, I saw him. He would slowly walk in with his wife in the back of the church with a depressed look on his face. And then in the middle of worship, he would get up, and he did this habitually or you might say piously, he got up and he would walk out the back of the sanctuary. And this church was, it was a different kind of construction. It had windows on both sides. And he would walk out the back and come around the outside of the sanctuary where everybody could see him in the middle of worship. And then he would go to the restroom, which was out and around and to the side. And then he'd come back. And the whole time he walked like he was carrying a load of bricks. And he had that dismal look on his face. He came to worship every week, every week, but he did it to show everyone he was unhappy. He did not attend worship out of love for God. To some degree, we can do Christian things like give a portion of our money to the church or to those in need. We can read our Bibles, we can pray. We can be a member of the church without love for God. Christian piety can be practiced for many reasons. Maybe it's because your parents did it or It gives you friends, or it makes you feel spiritual and good with God. However, without love for God, you will never be all in for God. There will be those things you hold back, pleasures you would rather not give up, sin that you do not want to confess and from which you do not want to repent, unchristian accommodations with the culture, comforts in life that make you feel secure. If you try to follow Jesus and be a Christian without love for God, you will not be all in for Jesus. But how do we have this love for God that makes us go all in? Well, it comes from Jesus Christ. Remember, it's Jesus Christ who is keeping his eye on you. Jesus Christ, who drew the scribe to himself and commended him for his agreement with Jesus that we should love the Lord our God with all our heart with all our soul, with all our mind, with all our strength, and our neighbor as ourselves. Because of Jesus, the scribe was becoming all in for God. And when the disciples, the disciples who certainly did not understand what it meant to be all in for Jesus when they first began to follow Jesus, did you fully understand what it meant to be all in for Jesus when you began the Christian life? I'm sure that you didn't. I didn't. Nor do you fully know what that means now. But Jesus had his eye on his disciples and he has his eye on you. It's the eye of his scrutiny and it's the eye of his grace. He knows what he knows where you want to hold back from going all in for God. And with his word and his spirit, he directs you to give everything to him. And sometimes it's painful because we do not want to let it go easily. But he changes our heart, and more and more as we follow him, we go all in for Jesus. You cannot follow Jesus holding on to part of your life. Thankfully, it is Jesus who makes us all in for God. It's not left up to us to somehow manufacture it. Jesus who gave his life for us weakens our grip on our life. So that we might give it <clears throat> so that we might give it all to God. Let us pray. O oh God, the protector of all who trust in you without whom nothing is firm and nothing is holy. Increase and multiply upon us your grace, that with you as our ruler and guide, you give, we give you everything in life and receive what we have as a gift from you. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen. So unlike the class at my seminary, let us stand up and confess the faith of the church. We believe in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all things visible and invisible, and in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, begotten of his Father before all worlds, God of God, light of light, very God, of very God. Begotten, not made; of one substance with the Father, through whom all things were made. Who for us and for our salvation came down from heaven, and was incarnate by the Holy Spirit of the Virgin Mary, and was made man, and was crucified also for us under Pontius Pilate. He suffered and was buried, and the third day he rose again according to the Scriptures, and ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. And he shall come again with glory to judge both the living and the dead, whose kingdom shall have no end. And we believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord and giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son, who with the Father and the Son together is worshipped and glorified, who spoke by the prophets. And we believe in one holy, Catholic, and apostolic church, We acknowledge one baptism for the remission of sins, and we look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen. Our hymn is number 505, I'm Not Ashamed to Own My Lord. promise, I will not leave you desolate, I will come to you, yet a little while the world will see me no more, but you will see me, because I live, you will live also. This promise was to his disciples before he was crucified and raised from the dead, and he was going on to be with the Father, and yet he would promise to send the Spirit to be present with his church by the Spirit. So that promise he gave, and that promise he fulfilled. The Apostle Paul writes, as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you're proclaiming the Lord's death until he comes. And he wasn't talking about the bread you have in your refrigerator at home or the fruit of the vine, whether it's wine or grape juice that you've got in your cabinet. Those things end up being used for this meal, but this, they become set apart, become their own um, food for, that the Lord uses for our nourishment. And so the bread that he's talking about is the bread that he gives us and the drink that he gives us. There are threats to the community of Christ. Um, This has been brought up many times to us. We know these things to be true. The powers of sin that threaten to undo us from uh, both without and sometimes within the church. Many dangers would destroy us if they could. Think of Jesus as he's about to go to the cross. Judas is sitting at the table with them. So these threats are there and uh, the church has always had to deal with them. But in this meal, our Lord assures us that he's victorious over sin and he will not let the powers of evil destroy his church. The word of God says that God has disarmed the principalities and powers and made a public example of them, triumphing over them in Christ. And then again, uh, the apostle says, when Christ, who is our, your life appears, you will also appear with him in glory. So those powers that threaten to undo us will not be able to, uh, prevent us from being joined with Christ in glory. So we remember all of that as we come to the Lord's table that He is the one who is the victorious Lord and has defeated the powers of sin and evil in us and in this world. With faith in Christ and by the power of His grace, we now love one another and we look to the interests of each other. We are being nourished in this meal to do those things. We, with faith in Christ and by the power of His grace, we do not return evil for evil, but we bless others and we're zealous for what is right. All who have been baptized, who have professed faith in Christ, and are communicant members of the Christian church, are welcome to come and share in this joyful feast of our Lord. As you accept this gracious invitation to the Lord's table, you confirm that you are trusting, you're all in for Jesus Christ, uh, that he alone is your savior from sin, and that you're endeavoring with all your heart uh, to live with love and concern for your fellow Christians with whom you be. Join with me in giving thanks to God for our salvation and new life in Christ. The Lord be with you. And also with you. Lift up your hearts. We lift them up to the Lord. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. It is right to give Him thanks and praise. You are worthy of our thanks and praise, Lord God Almighty. By the breath of your mouth, you've spoken your word, all things came into being. You fashioned us in your image, you placed us, in that beautiful creation that you had, had had finished. Though we chose the path of rebellion, you would not abandon your own. And so we hear again the stories over and over again of you choosing and bringing those to yourself by your grace. And so we thank you that you've drawn us in your covenant of grace, that you gave your people the law, you taught us by your prophets to look for your reign, your kingdom to come into this world. But most of all, the gospel that tells us Christ has come and that he has accomplished all things for us to be reconciled to you. And so we join with that host in heaven that sings that song of praise to you, saying, Holy, holy, holy Lord, God of power and might, heaven and earth are full of your glory, Hosanna in the highest. Lord God, you are the most holy one. You're enthroned in splendor and light. You are pure. There is no sin or evil with you. And in the coming of your Son, Jesus Christ, you did reveal the power of your love and your grace that was made perfect in our human weakness. Embracing our humanity, Jesus showed us and accomplished for us the way of salvation. He gave himself to death for us. He set us free from the bonds of sin that we might rise and reign with him in glory. And we profess our faith as we come to this meal and say with your church, Christ has died, Christ has risen, Christ will come again. Therefore, we proclaim the death that he suffered on the cross. We celebrate his resurrection, his bursting from the tomb. We, re- we rejoice that he reigns at your right hand on high, and we long for his coming in glory. And as we recall that one perfect sacrifice of our redemption... O Father, by your Holy Spirit, may the eating of this bread and drinking of this cup be for us a participation in the body and blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. Form us into the likeness of Christ and make us a perfect offering in your sight. Look with favor on your people and in your mercy hear the cry of our hearts. Bless those who are sick. We pray you would give them good medical care (coughs) and that you would help the oppressed go free. By your gospel, fill your church with power from on high so that it might proclaim that gospel. Gather your people from the ends of the earth to feast with all your saints at the table in your kingdom, where the new creation is brought to perfect perfection in Jesus Christ, our Lord, by whom and with whom and in whom in the unity of the Holy Spirit, all honor and glory be yours, almighty Father, forever and ever. And so we say together, Amen. Amen. The Lord Jesus Christ took the bread, and after giving thanks, he broke it, and said, This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the cup of the new covenant, sealed in my blood, shed for you for the forgiveness of sins. As often as you drink it, do this in remembrance of me. Jesus said, Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Take and eat this bread and drink this cup and remember Christ's body and blood given for you. Receive it with faith and thanksgiving. Take and eat the drink. Let us pray. Lord, now let your servants According to your word, for our eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, to be a light, to light the Gentiles, and to be the glory of your people, even Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Our final hymns number 565, all for Jesus.
1: Please be seated, and good morning to you all. Um, as far as announcements this morning, uh, first of all, thank you to both John and Randy for uh, leading us in music this morning. Um, as a, a wannabe guitarist myself, I always enjoy hearing someone play the instrument well, um, so thank you for that. Uh, thank you also to uh, the helpers yesterday who uh, tackled the bush trimming and the other uh, the other cleanup around here. Uh, I could not be here to assist it with myself, but I'm certainly appreciative to those who were. Um, and uh, so thank you for that. Uh, we will be having uh, Christian Ed this morning. So please, uh, after a time of fellowship, uh, join us for that. We'll be. Looking at a topic that we look at often and, and which came up uh, even in the sermon this morning that is kind of our, our life together as the church, kind of our communion um, and uh, as a fellowship. so uh, please uh, consider sticking around for that and uh, contributing to it. Um, anyone else want the floor for any announcements? Yes, Mrs. Wilson.
2: Uh, their spirits were good, and their gratitude to the cloud is just overflowing. They're so thankful for the prayers, they're thankful for the cards, the calls, the
1: texts. Just wanted to let you know how much they love us. Excellent. For those of you uh, who, who maybe didn't catch that on the stream, uh, Mrs. Wilson and... I'm sorry, who who else went over with you? Uh, Mrs. Collins went over to uh, visit the Guzmans yesterday, and um, the Guzmans express, continue to express... Uh, just overwhelming gratitude for uh, the support of of our family here at Providence in in the form of prayers and cards and things like that. And also, uh, Shirley is looking wonderful, and uh, we we hope by the grace of God on the road to uh, to full recovery. Uh, anyone else announcements? Seeing none, I will wish you a good morning, and uh, please enjoy some some coffee and some good chatter.